You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This segment is made possible by an educational grant from Shire Pharmaceuticals. Welcome to Updates from the Mayo Clinic, focusing on primary care pediatrics and child mental health. Here's your host, Dr. Peter S. Jensen, a childhood and adolescent psychiatrist and professor of psychiatry at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Hello, this is Dr. Peter Jensen. With me is a dear friend and colleague, but also international expert, Dr. Christopher Cradiville. Chris is a professor of psychiatry and pediatrics and the associate vice chancellor for research at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Chris, welcome. Well, thank you, Peter. Thank you for inviting me to join you today. Well, just delighted. And, um, uh, of course, we have some uh, important topics. I've had the privilege to visit uh, with you in Nebraska, and uh, uh, so I know that this whole issue of helping primary care doctors who find out that they have a lot of kids with mental health problems on their plate and nowhere to send them, given the shortage of child psychiatrists like you and me, this is a this is a pretty big deal, and I expect a big deal for Nebraska as well. Absolutely. You know, we have a, a state 500 miles across, and really the child and adolescent psychiatrists are located in the southeast corner, so, uh, you know, it's really imperative that we work with and train primary care providers to provide resources across the state. Well, you know, one of the things that um, I know is often a big concern, and we hear about it in the press, is, oh, my goodness, kids are being overdiagnosed, overprescribed, uh, all these medicines. And so there's a lot of fear-mongering uh, out there, if you will, and perhaps just natural fear. And so one of the questions I wonder if you could start us off with, uh, this question of over-treatment, under-treatment, over-diagnosis, over-medication, et cetera. And I thought maybe we could start with a a pretty common problem like ADHD. So for kids with ADHD, what do you think? Are they getting way too many meds? Well, certainly ADHD is a great place to start, Peter, because as we know, ADHD is one of the most common of the, the psychiatric disorders, as well as one that can lead to significant impairment in functioning, not only at school, but also at home and with peers. And certainly it's so common that the primary care providers out there just have to be able to uh, identify and treat and understand this and, and I think understand this issue. So regarding the number of children on medications, despite the fact that it's so common and impairing, the data suggests that only approximately half of the children with ADHD are actually taking medication for their ADHD. And certainly there's still a problem with many of the children not even being identified. Now, if we look at those who are taking medication, what about the dosing and the optimization of dosing? So, for example, the optimal dose on average for a 7- to 10-year-old child would be about 35 to 40 milligrams of methylphenidate. But, in fact, on average, children with ADHD are typically dosed at about 20 milligrams per day. And so you know, Peter, from the MTA study, the multimodal treatment of ADHD study that you were a part of, that supported this, too, that we as clinicians too often stop before we get to that optimal dose. Yeah, I think uh, clinicians have, you know, we, we're a do-no-harm mentality. And I think, you know, I, I, can, I sense it myself, but I certainly sense it in my colleagues. People stop a little short because they're a little anxious. 
And I wonder if at the end of the day that does uh, more harm than good. So what you're saying that there's under, a lot of undertreatment, even in the kids who are getting medication, plus another half of these kids who aren't being treated at all. So that's kind of a, in a way, saying there's a lot of underprescribing going on. How about overprescribing, say, for ADHD? Does that happen? Well, it certainly can. I think if we don't take the time to really do a good diagnostic assessment, that it's certainly possible to say, oh, this kid's fidgeting, he's not focusing, let's put him on a stimulant and see what happens. When in fact, if we did a careful diagnostic assessment, we might find out that, well, gee, they have a significant anxiety problem. And and when we, we dig down deeper, they're fidgeting because they're nervous and they're worried and they're not focused because of the anxiety. So so it certainly is possible, but globally what we know is that we certainly have problems with not identifying kids, not optimizing the treatment, but we do want to make sure we don't uh, overstep that bounds and overprescribe as well. So so how about conditions like uh, depression? So we used to think uh, uh, children and youth didn't really ever have the possibility of developing a formal depressive disorder. How about the medicines? Are they being over-prescribed or under-prescribed there? Yeah, another great topic, uh, Peter. So like ADHD pharmacotherapy, if you look at the total number of youth with depression and the total number being treated with medications for depression, there are clearly many more youth with depression than those that are being treated with depression uh, with medications. The question, of course, is are the appropriate patients the ones being treated? And, you know, certainly as I talk with clinicians in practice and families, I do hear a lot of concerns over, uh, you know, are we prescribing too much or too little? But if we look at antibiotics, for example, kids with a sore throat and a fever need a good evaluation. And if it's indeed strep throat, then antibiotics are warranted. But without them, we run a risk of future cardiac complications. On the other hand, if it's viral, it's important not to inappropriately and necessarily over-prescribe antibiotics. And it's a common issue we deal with in medicine, optimizing the risk-benefit relationship with the meds we use by using them when it's appropriate and not when it's inappropriate. So if we look back at the discussion on antidepressants, a few years ago, there was a lot of concern and discussion in the media and with the FDA regarding potential risk of suicidal thoughts behaviors linked with antidepressant use. And we saw a black box warning for suicidality placed on all the antidepressants. And over the subsequent years, we saw a drop in antidepressant use and even a drop in kids being identified and diagnosed with depression. Now, at the same time, we started to see a rise in the suicide rate for the first time in decades. And while it's hard to know what exactly the links with these issues are, it certainly highlights the fact that we need to make sure we identify the youth that have depression, give the right treatment to them. And, uh, you know, we know that a lot of kids don't get any treatment at all and don't get evaluated. So, you know, it, it's a concern that we over-medicate, but I think a bigger concern is that we don't identify and don't treat these kids. Well, that's very sobering. So now if I... If I'm a practicing doctor and I don't want to be a part of the, uh, you know, the local newspaper uh, being called an overprescribing doctor, but I don't want to miss a child who's suicidal and I do want to do the best job, 
How do I avoid both over-prescribing and under-prescribing? Yeah, you know, again, I think it, it gets back to the whole idea of, uh, you know, knowing how to do a diagnostic assessment and uh, really understanding what the data and the science say. And, and we know uh, from the science and the literature out there that kids with conditions like ADHD, like depression, do respond to medications. And now not every medication works for every kid, but overall we know these medications work. And if we can have an awareness of what data is out there and what's been shown to be effective and safe, you know, that's appropriate evidence-based prescribing. And certainly it's under-prescribing if we miss that opportunity to, to treat these children with this disorder. So I think the key question here is what does that require from us as clinicians? And it means we have to appropriately screen. We need to do a good assessment. We need to make an accurate diagnosis when a child does present to us with significant uh, emotional behavior problems. And then, of course, educate ourselves about the data on the medications, when to use them, what are the risks, what are the realistic potential benefits. And, and I think that's how we can really help keep that balance between over and under prescribing. We're talking with Dr. Chris Cradiville, professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and also associate uh, 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 chancellor for research. Uh, Chris, uh, this is a difficult, heady, and perhaps even scary topic. As you think about this issue, training doctors, educating ourselves, how is a doctor or the poor someone out there in a the full-time practice going to do this? Yeah, well, I think there, there's a number of initiatives out there that haven't historically been there. And, you know, part of it is taking the time to learn about how to screen, diagnose, and treat. And, you know, Peter, you and I have worked on an initiative with the, the REACH Institute uh, with primary pediatric psychopharmacology. And, and that's kind of one end of the spectrum where pediatricians or primary care docs can spend three intensive days in a hand-on workshop and and then have follow-up by phone. But, but there are other initiatives as well. The, the American Academy of Pediatrics has really focused on uh, mental health, behavioral health issues, and they have a number of excellent resources out there that can be accessed. Um, you know, one great resource is a toolkit that was developed by NICHQ and the American Academy of Pediatrics. And if you Google NICHQ and then ADHD, it'll pull up this wonderful toolkit that's free of charge with screening for ADHD, common comorbid disorders, follow-up, templates for letters, templates for monitoring, things like that. So there's a lot of resources that are out there. I think it just uh, is incumbent upon the clinicians that we stay up to date with these and we access these resources and take the time to get the, the information. Well, uh, you know, you had indicated uh, just the size of the state of Nebraska and how you're trying, you're struggling to take these issues on since there are just way too few child psychiatrists. Could you tell us more about what you're seeing happening in the state of Nebraska, how you're trying to tackle this difficult training problem, this lack of person power, manpower, if you will, um, and getting the current person pa uh, power uh, up to speed. 
Absolutely. So, you know, a couple of things we've been doing, there have been some good models that have been put out there, like the the state of Massachusetts, for example, of having child psychiatrists who are actually available for primary care providers to call in to get consultation. I believe, in fact, uh, Minnesota is developing something like that. Yes, we just started one here uh, in Minnesota that Mayo is working with four or five partners across the state. Yeah, so I think there's, you know, really some states that are becoming aware of this. I know there's been training with the state of New York in uh, in really disseminating information out for primary care providers. So, so we're following the lead with that. You know, we have some funding to the state through BEACON. It stands for the Behavioral Health Education Center of Nebraska. And really, we're trying to promote training of mental health providers both in person, uh, as I mentioned, through the, the REACH Institute, having uh, providers come from across the state to meet face-to-face, but also putting videos and things out there on the Internet that are accessible to rural clinicians. And so I think, you know, we're trying to hit folks while they're in training, but also once they get out in practice. But, you know, certainly it's going to be something that we're going to have to increase efforts significantly to adequately address the needs of the state. Well, and I think as you point out, uh, it's amazing how so many of the states are getting on board. Um, I've just learned about a program in Arkansas where they've started up a consultation program. And, of course, New York, Minnesota, Nebraska, uh, Washington, uh, it's coming out of our ears. I, I think uh, people are recognizing we we can't wait. Uh, it'll never happen for there to be enough child psychiatrists. We have to really help our primary care providers become expert in this area. Well, and not only that, Peter, but I think, you know, the families we work with and the colleagues we work with, they'll tell us that, you know, they want to work with this primary care provider that knows their family, that has taken care of their kid and understand what's going on. And I think it's such a great model to have them be able to access those resources right there with the primary care provider that knows them so well. It's such a pleasure uh, talking with you, Chris. Uh, We've been talking with Dr. Chris Cradiville, professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, where he's also the associate vice chancellor for research. Uh, We've been focusing on the topic of overprescribing versus underprescribing, and Dr. Cradiville has enlightened us a lot on this topic. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for listening to updates from the Mayo Clinic. And thank you to Shire Pharmaceuticals, whose educational grant makes this program possible. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show and many others, or to download this segment, go to reachmd.com forward slash Mayo Clinic.